Our text today is Daniel 12, 3, 4, 9, and 10. It might seem odd to take two pairs of verses that are split apart in the same chapter like that, but let me show you the reason why. Remember how chapter 12 works. Remember that the final revelation from God begins in Daniel 11, verse 2, and it finishes in chapter 12, verse 4. So that's really where the break is, after 12, 4. And then right after that, you have some clarifying questions. Verse 6, someone asks, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And then in verse 8, Daniel asks, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? So it's not a surprise that verses 9 and 10 give us more information about verses 3 and 4. So that's why we have them joined together like that. And uh, we are, after this sermon, Lord willing, just two sermons away from finishing Daniel. Uh, Two more sermons the next two Sundays, if the Lord allows. And then at some point, when we can fit it into the church calendar, we might come back and do a Sunday evening Bible in depth and do our promised, you know, uh, put Daniel on the wall, like we said we we would do. So we'll see when we can fit that in. Our theme today is the Word of God at the end of the world. In a sense, we're talking about the Word of God in the tribulation and right before Jesus comes again, but we want to remember from the very outset that the New Testament makes it clear that the last days began when Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, so you live in them. And so this is, uh, the end of the world might come very soon or not soon, But if these principles applied in Daniel's time 2,500 years ago and in Christ's time 2,000 years ago, and then they certainly apply today. This is a passage that warns the unbeliever that they must respond to the Word of God. And it gives God's people a, a picture of how they can shine as His people, people of the Word at the end of the world. So let's look at our text, Daniel 12, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So first of all, when is this talking about? Well, it says the time of the end, and in context, as you know from this study, we're talking about the final years before Jesus comes again. And so during that unprecedented time of tribulation, verse 3 says that those who are wise shall shine. Number one, God's people will shine in the last days. They will shine, and they will shine, first of all, because of their attributes. They will be wise, verse 3 says. And then the second attribute comes from verse 10. So let's jump down and read that. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So their attributes, God's people will be wise and understanding. Or as verse 10 kind of makes it sound, their wisdom will be what allows them to understand what's going on. So there will only be one way to understand what's going on in the last days. Only one way. Choice A, Fox News. Choice B, Newsmax. Choice C, NBC. Choice D, New York Times. And you know the answer, of course, is choice E, the Word of God, right? It might be easy to forget that this is much of the point of the entire book of Daniel is how God's people understand what even the wisest people in the world cannot. That's how the book begins, right? In Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 and Daniel 3. Babylon had wise men, the king's cabinet, but over and over again, they end up looking like fools. Meanwhile, the one they think is a fool This little Jewish boy is the one who actually understands what's going on. Why? Because there's only one truly wise and understanding person. Who is that? Who's the one truly wise and understanding person? God, right? And so the only people who are going to have true wisdom and understanding are the people who are listening to him. 
because he's the one who can give true wisdom and understanding. God's people will shine in the last days because God has spoken and his people are the only ones who are listening. And so he gives them wisdom and understanding. Next in verse 3, we see their actions, and I'm going to use this word, they influence others. They influence others. Verse 3 has a parallel structure that's really common in Hebrew. If we look at it again, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Now watch for the parallel to that. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Can you see it's kind of like A, B, A, B. So the phrase, those who are wise, parallels the phrase, those who turn many to righteousness. Those who are wise turn many to righteousness. Now the ESV and the King James and New King James use the word turn. Most other translations use the word lead, lead many to righteousness. What it is is the Hebrew verb to be righteous but in a form that suggests influencing someone toward righteousness. And we'll talk more about righteousness in just a minute, but for now, just note that it means that in the last days, God is using his people to influence others with his word. God's people shine because they don't just study God's word for their private blessing. They don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. God's people look for opportunities to influence others with the Word of God. Okay, so God's people will shine in the last days because of their attributes. They're wise and understanding because of the Word and their actions to seek to influence others with God's Word. And then next, just as Jesus spoke of how we should not hide our lamp under a basket, God told Daniel in verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of of the sky above. So I'm calling this the presence of God's people, their presence shining in darkness. And I love this picture, though honestly it took me a second to even realize what the picture was. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Now this isn't talking about the brightness of midday, and we know that because of our parallel again. Remember A, B, A, B, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And then what's the second part of it that parallels it? Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Hebrew word translated sky above refers to the heavenly expanse. It's the visible night sky where you see the stars as well as the starlight reflecting off of planets and moons. So the picture here is of a very dark night sky, and yet somehow it's bright. How can that be? Well, thankfully, we live in Southern California where we can get away from the light pollution and go to the desert. And if you just give your eyes a little while to adjust, what happens? The blackness of outer space starts to light up. And the Milky Way becomes this glowing splash across the night sky. And millions of tiny points of light that are out there begin to appear. And you can look up and you can say that it is genuinely bright. You're looking into a dark void. And you can say, it looks bright. The dark void becomes bright because of an uncountable number of stars that are shining. If there was just one or two, you probably wouldn't even notice. But there are millions and billions of stars out there. And even though our human eye is only sensitive enough to see about 5,000 in one night sky, that's still enough to make the darkness become bright. This is such a great illustration to encourage us and challenge us. No matter how dark the world becomes, there is light in God's word, and the darkness can become bright when millions of little lights shine into it. When millions of God's people hold up the lamp of his word for others to see. Do you know, here in California, as dark as it seems, if there are 40 million people in California, that means there have got to be millions that are actually God's lights. Is that not cool? This may seem like such a dark void, but there are enough of God's people here that the darkness could be bright. The dark void could shine. 
we may feel powerless. I'm sure Daniel felt powerless at the palace in Babylon as a teenager. What was his one tiny little light? Yeah, but if millions of tiny little lights all shine the truth of God's word into the darkness, the night sky can become truly bright. I love that illustration. Let your light shine before men. And it was right there in Philippians 2 today, wasn't it? In our scripture reading. All right, that is their presence shining in the darkness. Next, their impact. Verse 3 says, those who turn many to righteousness, they influence other people to righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It's good, I think, and healthy to think about it in two ways. This could involve influencing others toward salvation in Christ, toward the righteousness that is ours in Christ, to turn from their sin to God for salvation and to be given what they do not have, and that is sinlessness before God, completely cleared record of wrong before God so that God can look at them and say, you are not only not guilty, but also righteous. There is that kind of righteousness. But I also think we would be not really doing justice to, the, to Daniel, the book of Daniel if we did not also point out that a significant theme here is that believers have to walk in righteousness even when there is fierce pressure, fierce persecution, and rulers who are actually trying with all their might to take your faith away from you and the practices of your faith away from you. So influencing others to righteousness, it can be influencing them to righteousness in Christ and salvation. It is also influencing one another as God's people to keep walking in righteousness when everything in the world is trying to get you to compromise, as we've seen multiple times in Daniel. So the point is that the people who are wise and understanding, because they love and study the Word of God, then use the Word to seek to influence others toward righteousness, both salvation in Christ and then a life lived for Christ in righteousness. We actually see this illustrated in the book of Daniel. Think of the influence of the Word of God through Daniel upon Nebuchadnezzar. We can't know for certain if Nebuchadnezzar truly became a follower of the one true God, but it's definitely possible based on what we see here. And no matter what, this little Jewish boy, equipped with the word of God, had a tremendous influence in Nebuchadnezzar's life when you see Daniel chapter 4. We also talked about the queen mother in Daniel chapter 5. Remember, she was probably either Nebuchadnezzar's wife or daughter. Did she become a follower of the one true God? We can't know for sure, but what we know is that when that handwriting on the wall had terrified her son, Belshazzar, she came into that banquet hall and in front of all of the most important people in the kingdom, she testified to the power of the word of God in the life of Daniel. Something had happened in that woman. Something had influenced her dynamically. God's word made an impact through Daniel. So God's people will shine in the last days because of their attributes, wise and understanding from the word, their actions to seek to influence others with the word. The result of this is a presence that brings light into what seems like an impossibly dark void and has a real impact influencing others to righteousness. And then verse 3 points ahead to remind us that the impact is not only earthly, but it's eternal because it says those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. So the result is that they shine forever and ever. Matthew 13, this is super, I mean, this is a sober passage, but it's also really, really cool because here in Matthew 13, it seems like Jesus is probably referring back to our verse in Daniel 12, verse 3, when he says this. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Remember, we pointed out multiple times that Jesus read Daniel 
we know it because of some of the things he said. And this is one of those where when you put together the righteous, the shining like a star, the kingdom, which Daniel says the saints are going to inherit the kingdom, it's like Jesus is talking Daniel right there. But notice that there's a little bit of difference in the illustration, and I think it's an intentional and encouraging difference. Daniel's, the picture in Daniel that we just talked about is of the dark void of the heavens, but in it are all these tiny points of light in that darkness. But Jesus says that in the eternal kingdom, the righteous will shine like the sun. Now, obviously, we know that the sun is a star, and those tiny specks of light out there aren't tiny specks. They're stars, and many of them much bigger than our sun. So here's what I think we can, how we can picture this. When the world is in darkness and God's people shine, they may only seem like tiny points of light. Though if you put them all together, the darkness can become bright. But each one still looks pretty tiny. But if you zoom in on each one of them, They're not tiny any longer. When we see God's people from God's perspective as his children in his eternal kingdom, they don't look like little teeny specks of light in darkness anymore. They look like a blazing sun in the middle of the day. You follow what I'm saying? Not just tiny specks, but blazing suns, precious stars in God's kingdom. That's you we're talking about. You, right? Isn't it interesting? So fascinating that the world, when they talk about their most important people, they call them stars. You know, I mean, they could have picked a lot of different shapes on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, right? I mean, why not triangles or trapezoids or something? But no, stars, they're on to something. They've just got the wrong people. God says, you might seem like a little speck of light in the darkness now, but when you're seen in his kingdom in the light of eternity, you're going to be more like a blazing sun. That's how important you are to God. You're not going to actually be a blazing sun, right? It's an illustration of how important you are to God and in God's kingdom. All right. Now we need to move on to our next major point. Number two, God's word will speak in the last days. God's word will speak in the last days. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So the revelation is completed now, and it needs to be preserved for the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Verse 9, we haven't read yet. In verse 8, Daniel says, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. There is a lot of disagreement between Bible scholars about what shut up and sealed mean in these verses. Um, And I'm just not really going to get into that this morning. We can say for certain that this is one part of this, at least, is preservation. The word is being preserved for the last days. The book of Daniel contains a profile of the world's final terrible ruler, final terrible government, an unprecedented final three and a half or maybe seven years. And so this revelation will be incredibly valuable when that ruler, that government, and that time arrive. But this also meant that during the time of Daniel, these things had to be written down and then carefully preserved for later. And that's exactly what happened. Daniel wrote these things. And this was preserved so that these words were available at the time of Antiochus IV. In the 160s and 170s BC, these things were available at the time of Christ, at the time of the Roman destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Titus, and we're reading them today, right? And so in verse 9, Daniel is told, go your way. That's not like, get out of here, Daniel. That's actually encouraging. It's like, Daniel, your job is done here. 
you don't actually have to worry about all this stuff that's going to come later. You've done your part. You've lived in wisdom. You've shown in the darkness of the palaces of the Babylonian and Persian empires. You've walked faithfully to the Lord. You've received these revelations, even though it was very hard for him and he felt like he was going to die half the time. Now, Daniel, just make sure they're recorded and preserved. God's going to keep them safe until the time of the end. So go live out the rest of your days in peace, knowing that God has all these things in his hand. But just write it down. We need it later. Daniel's job was done, but the word would be shut up and sealed so that it could continue to have an impact generation after generation and especially in the time of the end. Now, next, God gave Daniel a little glimpse into why these things would be so valuable at the time of the end. So back to verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. Well, that's an odd picture. Are people going to be running back and forth at the time of the end? Well, there's another passage that uses this same Hebrew word and probably tells us what it means. Amos 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So letter B, this is pursuit. A was preservation. B is pursuit. People will pursue understanding in the last days. And they may do that somewhat frantically. When those plagues and things are poured out in the book of Revelation, there will be frantic responses to that kind of devastation and death. And so as world events get crazier and crazier, as the suffering gets greater and greater, people will be desperate to get some grasp on what's going on. Because as human beings, we're always trying to make sense of our lives and uh, have some explanation that gives us a feeling of of both meaning and also some understanding, like we've wrapped our mind around all this craziness. So at the time of the end, there will be a pretty frantic search for explanations. But that is, that is potentially very awesome or very dangerous, right? And so let her see progress. Knowledge will increase in the last days. And I think there are a couple different ways to know, to understand that. that. So this is the end of verse four, right? Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So we could understand it two different ways because it's going to go differently for different people. On one hand, we could picture running around, people running around frantically trying to find understanding and God has preserved his word in places like Daniel. And God has his people there who are ready to influence others with the word. And so when people are frantically searching for answers, God's people are shining like lights with his word. And so knowledge increases as people hear the word of God. And now they look at this last terrible government and they look at this last terrible ruler and they say, oh, that's what's going on. And they come to Christ. So that could be what the end of verse four means when it says knowledge shall increase. But on the other hand, you saw what we just read in Amos, right? They will run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. People running around seeking answers, but they're looking in all the wrong places. Knowledge is increasing, but it's not doing them any good because it's not the truth of God's word. And so they're still in spiritual darkness. Some people seek answers and yet refuse to believe that any answers are found in God's word. And so they scurry around learning more and more, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Meanwhile, others hear God's word with soft hearts and they receive it and they gain the knowledge of God and his ways and they find light in their darkness. So more on that in a moment. But first, an important clarification then about the word of God in the last days is letter D, which is purification the word will continue to purify the wise in the last days. That's verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Now, there is a, a question there about whether that the form of that Hebrew verb should be um, passive or reflexive. 
Um, in other words, should we translate verse 10, many shall be purified, or should we translate it, many shall purify themselves? Either one is possible from a translation standpoint, um, and there's theological truth to both, both the sovereign hand of God as well as human response and responsibility to that. So it honestly, it could be translated either way. But I think the point is that it's while it's right to focus on the need of God's people to share the word with the world, to be light shining in darkness, we must not forget that God's people are, gonna only, are only going to survive the last days because this word is filled up in their hearts too. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And never will that be more obvious than in those terrible days. We, we see that in the parallel structure in verse 10. So remember that back in verse 3, we saw a kind of Hebrew parallelism, which was super simple. A, B, A, B. There's a different kind here in verse 10. It's just as simple, and you'll see it as soon as we read it. Verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. That's A. And none of the wicked... I'm sorry, but the wicked shall act wickedly. That's B. And none of the wicked shall understand. That's also B, right? But those who are wise shall understand. In other words, you've got the wise at the beginning and ending, and you've got the wicked, t- wicked twice in the middle. So we put together the beginning of that verse and the ending of that verse, and what it's telling us is that it's the wise who purify themselves and make themselves white and are refined through these things. If we are growing in God's word, then whatever circumstances we are in will also be purifying and refining. And the book of Daniel shows us that God's people go through times of great trials and great temptations. And in those situations, it is very easy for God's people to compromise and fall, which is why we've got to have the word of God in our hearts so that the trials refine us and purify us. And here's something super important that's implied in refining and purifying. You know what else happens when you refine and purify? You also figure out what wasn't real to begin with. The precious metals get refined and purified, but the things that aren't precious metals also get exposed. And so as God's word works in the hearts of God's people, it not only purifies them, but it also demonstrates that they truly are God's people. Remember Daniel chapter 11? I don't know if I put this in your notes or if you need to turn back, just look back there in your Bible, but it's Daniel eleven thirty-three and 35. Daniel eleven thirty-three, And the wise... Among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And then verse 35, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So even while we are eager to share God's word with others, never forget you need God's word just as much. The world needs the word, yes, but God's people need the word just as much. The word is not just light shining into the darkness of unbelief, but it is also a light to my feet and a lamp to my, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So God's people will not only share his word with others in the last days, they're going to be surviving by his word themselves. And that's what makes it dynamic, right? It's not like here, I have something you need, but I don't need it. It's rather here, this is my very bread of life. Could I share it with you? That's how it works. All right. So our first two major points have been God's people will shine in the last days. Secondly, God's word will speak in the last days. And then finally, eternal destinies will be determined in the last days. Verse 10. But first, remember verse 2 from last Sunday. So Daniel 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some 
to shame and everlasting contempt. There are two eternal destinies, two groups that we talked about last Sunday. And so then verse 3 goes on to describe just one of those two groups, those who are wise. So what about the other group? Where, well, we read about them again in verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. That is sad. That is tragic. There will be great sin and great celebration of evil. There will be great deception. There will be great hardness of heart in those last days. And all of this relates to the word of God because it says none of the wicked shall understand. The word will be preserved. The word will be shared. People will go to and fro trying to find answers. Yet none of the wicked will understand. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 The coming of the lawless one, that's the final terrible ruler, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. See that? Why are the wicked continuing to act wickedly and not understanding? It's because they refuse to listen. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Because they reject the word of God, they don't receive the insights from the word of God. And without the insights from the word of God, we are blind. And so those who don't want to hear God's word will be in blindness. They'll believe false explanations about the news. And as a result, Jesus will come again and they won't be ready. Earlier, I read Matthew 13 41 to 43, but I stopped before the last phrase. So let's read it again and get the last final plea from Jesus. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So he who has ears Let him hear. And obviously, what does to hear mean? Believe it. Accept it. Respond to it. But how do you know if you have ears to hear? Well, if you are sitting here right now and you care enough to ask that question, you have ears to hear. Or you wouldn't even be asking that. So Jesus says here, Don't just let the words hit your eardrums. Believe, respond, accept the word of God because eternal destinies are determined by how people respond to the word. I am standing here today looking at a room of people who are going to live forever and your eternal destinies are determined by how you respond to the word of God. So what verse 10 in Daniel 12 says, Verse 10 is tragically telling us that in the last days, many people will be hardened by their sin, deceived by the Antichrist, unwilling to listen to God's word and understand what's going on, even though it's available. But if you have ears to hear, if you're hearing this message today or any time in the future, then hear. Respond now before it's too late. If you're hearing this message, it's not too late. And don't say to yourself, well, We're not in those last days of the tribulation, so I've got time. If that's what you're thinking, please go read Luke chapter 12. Because you are exactly who Jesus was speaking to when he said, the master of that house will come on a day when the servant does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and it will be too late. Jesus said, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The moment you say to yourself, ah, I've got time, is the moment the deception is settling so deeply into your heart that you're going to run out of time before you know it, before you realize it. So if you have ears today to hear, then hear. Believe God's warnings. Repent of your wickedness and come give your life to Christ as your Savior and King because he is so mercifully letting you hear right now.
All right. So in conclusion, I want to take those five points from the beginning. If you want to go back to the first page, those five points about how God's people shine in the last days, and let's apply them as God's call for us today. Because the way, again, I I said it earlier, but the way the New Testament describes it, we've been living in the last days ever since Jesus ascended to heaven. So these principles are how all of us live today. So how should we live? Well, first of all, with the attributes of wisdom and understanding. In the times in which we live, when you're people who live in the last days, as we all are, love the Word of God. Demonstrate your love for the Word of God in the ways you read it, you listen to it, you study it, you memorize it on a daily basis. There are a startling number of adult Christians with no feeding on God's Word on a daily basis. And that is going to be tragic in your life if that continues. So wisdom and understanding from the daily love for the Word of God. Then second, the actions of being willing to try to influence others. We cannot be afraid or ashamed to seek to influence others with the Word of God. The world says, live and let live. I think what I think, I believe what I believe, you think what you think, you believe what you believe, and let's just coexist, right? Except that's nonsense because that's not at all what's happening. Influence is everywhere. Social marketing is dominated by influencers. Marketing bombards us everywhere we turn. Athletes, uniforms, trucks on the freeway. I mean, you cannot get away from influence, right? Everywhere you look, there's marketing influencing. Politicians and media are relentlessly trying to influence us. I'm a father of four girls, and everywhere we turn, we find influences trying to push our girls to reconsider their gender and their sexuality. And I don't say this lighthearted. I'm not, I'm, I'm, you realize I take this very seriously, and I know it hits home for many of us. It hit home, hits home for us, because if we go to the library, there it is. If we send them to the schools, there it is. If we listen to the politicians, there it is. If we buy them American Girl dolls, there it is. If we watch Disney, there it is. If we watch the ads during just about any TV show, there it is. If we go to a women's sporting event, there it is. If we take them to the pediatrician, there it is. And you're going to tell me it's live and let live? There's no live and let live about this. This is influence. Influence toward products. Influence toward politics. Influence with ideas and philosophies. Meanwhile, if you would like to influence others with the life-giving hope of the Word of God, shut up. That is the tone of our day. And as believers, he must, God must, strengthen our hearts to say, no, I am not going to do that. When everybody else gets to influence with all of this damage and nonsense, I am going to seek to influence other people with the life-giving hope of God's Word. You might do that on social media. You might do that in conversations. You might give someone a tract or invite them to church. You might share a video. You might give someone a book. Just two nights ago, I I heard about a 96-year-old man in the Midwest who is a very highly respected medical doctor in his community, I think his whole career in the same community, and he is nearing death now. But someone in that town who knows him gave him a book that explains the gospel. And as of two nights ago when we heard it, he was halfway through reading that book in the hospital, I think, at the age of 96. Because somebody was willing to try to influence a very highly respected 96-year-old with the Word of God. This week I also got to hear the testimony of a man who was saved about five years ago. And as he was telling just a little bit about how the Lord brought him to salvation, the man who first invited him to church was sitting just one seat away from him. So I was on the other side of the room, and there's the man on my right who was saved about five years ago, and two seats away on on my left, there's the man who first invited him to church. And so the man on the right is a... a, uh, uh, Wow, how do you tactfully say this? All right. He's a lower middle-aged... very successful businessman. And the man on my left who invited him to church is an upper middle-aged, very successful businessman. And uh, the man on the left um, has been a Christian for many years, and he was out for a walk in his neighborhood with his wife and two of their grandkids. 
And walking up ahead of them was this other man and his wife who had just moved into the neighborhood. And the grandson, who had previously been terrified of dogs, says to his granddad, I want to pet that dog. And so as a good granddad, he goes literally jogging down the road, pushing the stroller to catch up with this couple. Um, A little weird, but what you do for your grandkids is sometimes weird, apparently. So he jogs up behind this couple, asks them if they can pet the dog. They start talking, and he invites them to church. Actually, he or his wife went back to their house and got a little invitation and brought it back and gave it to them to their church. And long story short, they came to church. The church was, had people equipped for discipling relationships and connecting with the word who started to invest in them, and they, that whole family got saved. Two reasons I'm telling you that story. First, because the man who got saved, the man on my right, said, I was very successful at my job, but we were living in a bubble that was about to explode. And what he said was, it was really interesting as they kept talking, because he said, the bubble did explode. And the other man said it was like a nuclear explosion in their lives. But just in time, they had started to hear God's word and get the influence of God's word. And so instead of the destruction of their sin blowing that family apart, it didn't. And today they're in a great church and growing in the Lord. But the other reason I wanted to tell you this story is because as I watched the man on the right talk, the man on the left his eyes are just swelling with tears. Because all he did was just have the tiny little bit of courage, after having looked kind of silly as a granddad chasing down the people with a dog, to invite them to his church. That's all he did initially. Now, in the days ahead, he did a lot to invest in those people. But it started with that teeny little willingness to influence a highly successful businessman by saying, would you come to church? And God used it to rescue that family. Another example, I talked to another man this week and and he gave me permission to tell you a bit of his story. I'm going to change the name, but um, I'm going to call him Matt. But true story, Matt was born in a rough neighborhood in Detroit. It was a culture of violence and retribution. Like he told me at the time when the kids from school were chasing him home, wanting to beat him up, and he ran up the front steps of his house and his mom locked the door in front of him so he couldn't come in. He grew up in that kind of a world. His unsaved unsaved dad left when he was 10. His unsaved mom was living in sin too. His new stepdad was violent and abusive. His divorced parents attacked each other relentlessly and tried to use the kids against each other. When his older sister moved out, he was just the nuisance left behind. Three of his friends committed suicide in high school. Three other friends were shot in high school. At the age of 17, he was so desperate to get out of that neighborhood and that home in Detroit that he got his mom to sign the papers to allow him to pre-enlist in the Air Force. And after basic training, he came here to Norton Air Base in San Bernardino. And the Air Force was really good for him. But something else good had happened in between Matt's dad, who had left when he was 10, had gotten saved. And this is part of the reason why I'm telling you this story. Because his dad could have said, I blew it with my son. I was a terrible father. I left him at 10. I don't have any voice. I don't have any credibility. I'm just going to pray for my son. But he had the courage, despite his failures as a dad, to try to tell his son about Jesus. And you can guess how that went at first. His son was really guarded, really suspicious. He and his Air Force buddies would laugh about his dad, the, the Jesus freak, you know. But six months after Matt joined the Air Force, Desert Storm began. And in hindsight, we might think of that as some sort of easy war or something, but it was war. 148 U.S. troops were killed, and especially early on, they were fearful that we might lose a huge number of troops to chemical weapons. And some of you were there, I realize. And so Matt stood here at Norton as his commander asked them, who hasn't filled out your will yet? And as he said to them, look to your left, and they all looked left. Look to your right, and they all looked right. And then he said, half of you aren't coming home. Matt called his dad, who by this point, remember, had professed Christ as his Savior and was trying to tell Matt about Jesus. He called his dad, and he said, Dad, I'm going to get deployed. And for better or worse, I mean, for wiser or not, here's what his dad said. He said, no, you're not. 
I'm going to pray, and you're not going to get deployed. And two weeks later, they found out that their Air Force unit was going to stay here. It was the Army and Marine units that were going to go. Um, and I think that was a little thing in his mind, like, wait a second, is there a God who just answered my dad's prayers? Like, what just happened there? But being left here, serving here, and not being deployed meant he'd stand on the flight line at Norton and talk to those soldiers and the Marines as they got ready to load up and go. He said, you'd, you'd see how they'd use humor to try to deal with the anxiety. They'd joke about, you know, we're going to get our gas masks on in time. And then he stood on the tarmac at Norton and watched flag-draped coffins coming back from Iraq. And it was then that the seeds his dad had sown in his heart began to grow. And he called his dad and said, I need to get saved. And his dad had a friend who knew a Pentecostal pastor in San Bernardino. And they called the pastor in San Bernardino. And he spent three days talking about the Bible with Matt. And the next Sunday, Matt went to church and gave his life to Christ in salvation. And as I sat with him two days ago talking about this, Matt said, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Not long after he was saved, he met a girl who loved the Lord, and they married, and they put Christ at the center. And that kid from the violent home on the streets of Detroit is now a man who's been married 31 years and loves his family and children and grandchildren. And he loves evangelism, and he loves discipleship, and he loves his local church, and He's a successful businessman who wants to know how God can use that for his, his purposes. Um, all because his dad, who had blown it and could have made all sorts of excuses, was willing to have his son call him a Jesus freak and blow him off when he tried to tell him, I found Jesus and you need him to. Our attributes, we've got to be wise and understanding from their word. Our actions, we have to be willing to seek to influence others with the truth of God's word. Third is presence. Be a light shining in darkness. That illustration of the black heavenly expanse lit up by all the tiny points of light is so encouraging to me. You're just one tiny little star. And you look at the headlines and think, what difference can I make? Who cares? The question's not what difference can you make to whatever the news thinks is worthy of headlines. The question is, does God see you like a blazing sun? If so, shine. Let him worry about the rest of it. You shine where you are. Don't put that candle in a basket. Fourth is impact. Influence others to righteousness. When we seek to influence others, we're not trying to influence them to ourselves. It's not like social media, right? Buy this product and you can look like me. It's not influencing them to us, but influencing them to righteousness. First to the gospel and the forgiveness and righteousness that can be theirs in Christ, but then also to a life of righteousness rather than their destructive life of sin. One of the things I did with Matt as I talked to him was I tried to push him a little bit to envision what his life would have been like without Christ. And he just like shuddered to try to picture it. Like I asked him, if you had married without Christ, what would have happened? And he said, I would have destroyed it with self-gratification. So when we talk about influencing others with the hope and the truth of God's word, part of what you need is the faith to look at another person and be excited about what God could mean to their life if they would hear the word and believe in Jesus. What righteousness would mean to them. What God could rescue them from if they would come in faith to Christ. The life of a Christian is not easy, but it is blessed and it leads right to eternal life and it is eternally meaningful. And the life of sin may have many passing pleasures, but it is devastating now and for eternity. So part of what gives you the courage to try to influence, it's, it's no different at our heart motivation level. It's, it's, in, it's in the same category as when you're like, I'm sorry, stupid example, but I started drinking this like anti antioxidant juice and I feel so much better. And now I've got to tell you, 
we get excited about that stuff, right? Maybe you need to process a little bit better what Jesus has done in your life. It was interesting when I asked Matt, what would your life have been like without Christ? It was kind of like he didn't want to think about it until I pushed him a little bit. And the more I pushed him, the more tears came to his eyes. And you could see him getting overwhelmed at what God had saved him from and what God had done. Impact, influence others to righteousness. And fifth, finally, is the result. God's people who shine his truth on this earth are like stars, who shine like the sun in his kingdom forever and ever. Don't be afraid to look ahead past this life to the blessings God promises. A major theme in Daniel is the saints inherit the kingdom. That gives us joy and it gives us courage to press on now. And Jesus said we're going to shine like the sun in his kingdom. You're that important. So what if? What if there was just one more sun shining in God's kingdom through something God did in you, through you? Right? God is going to accomplish his purposes. We're his tools. What if you got to be a tool of influencing someone else toward righteousness with the word of God? And the end result of that was another sun blazing in God's kingdom forever. That would be beautiful. And it would never end. That investment that you made in that person's life with the word of God. Father, we pray that you would stir your people's hearts to be willing to shine. Let our light shine before men that they may see our good works, our lives transformed by Christ, living like Christ and now sharing the word of Christ and glorify our Father who is in heaven. If you have made us blazing sons, you have done it for your glory. It shows how good you are, how great you are. Would you please grant us opportunities to influence others toward you? And even today, as we move now into Discipleship Connect and then eat together, may our words influence one another to righteousness, to walk in faithfulness, to be loyal to you, to live for you. Use this next hour and a half that we spend together. Use your word in our hearts through this. Stir us up, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.